This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Now on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. It's Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. From the courtroom to the boardroom to Talk Radio 1210. Get educated on the law from one of the most powerful attorneys in the country. Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. Featuring who's who in the Delaware Valley legal community. Welcome to the courtroom. And welcome to Legal Eagles Radio. And your host, Sam Pond. It is a busy weekend here in the Delaware Valley, and welcome in, everybody, to Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond as we come to you in Philadelphia on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and in the western part of the state in Pittsburgh on KDKA as we come to you uh, on a Sunday night, now available on Apple Podcast. Uh, every iPhone in the world, you can get Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond, and I say a good Sunday to you, Sam. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you, Joe? How are you, Joe? Uh, Doc, everything right. good? Good week. Uh, we had we had the midterms this week, and it was good to see that folks were carrying out their civic duty, their responsibility of citizens in a free country to go out and exercise the right to vote. And the turnout was encouraging in that regard, whether you voted Democratic, whether you voted as a Republican or whether you were an independent, uh, it was good to see the kind of turnout that we saw throughout our region, throughout our state, and also throughout the country. And again, the purpose of this show is to educate, and with education about the laws, you empower yourself. Knowledge is your power so that you're protected, and we have a very interesting show about making sure that you're protected because believe it or not folks our elected officials aren't always putting things in place to regulate what is out there that could possibly harm you so we need to understand that when you go out and vote politics is the law and i've said this multiple times it's the law because the politicians make the laws Get this civic duty, this civic understanding in your head. Um, And you really have to know where they're at in making laws. And if they're not making laws to protect you, then you got to call them out. And I'm going to say something that we've said, and you've got to understand this. Politicians are public servants. I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to say it again after that. Politicians are public servants. Politicians are public servants. It means that they are your servants as a citizen. They work for you. You pay their salary, and they represent you as their constituents where you live. So clearly call them out. Request a meeting. If, the, if, if someone was working for you, you have the power to request a meeting. Don't let them ignore you. Getting back to the safety, getting back to what we have in our society, in our commerce, out there, in our hospitals, what doctors are using, what other professionals are using, you have to understand that clearly the only place that that's regulated, as far as my view goes, is in a courtroom. 
80% of the safety measures over the last 50 years that have helped consumers not get maimed, injured, or killed have been done in the courtroom by the trial bar. And we have a really good guest today on a really high-powered firm that's going to talk about this. Because a lot of times our regulators, the FDA and others are really not regulators. Trial lawyers regulate commerce and products coming in to our society uh, and we have to be very, very mindful of this. So I want to turn it over, Joe, to, to the next seg- or first segment talking about uh, hernia mesh. Um, and I think that it's an important day. It's an important week because we talk about freedom. And, again, I want to use that term genuine freedom, really where you don't have people coming to you and the government in the middle of the night and locking you up. Uh, and freedom has a cost. We have to constantly be vigilant and mindful of how to protect our freedom. And on this very, 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 very important day, this day of honor, we have to honor our veterans that have defended our freedom, that will continue to allow us to be a beacon of freedom as a country. And they, are, they pay, and their families pay, often the ultimate price of giving up their life, but also the sacrifice of their duty giving away time and taking away time from those that love them. Uh, and the kids' sacrifice, the extended family sacrifice, sacrifices, and the veteran sacrifices. So we salute you and we thank you. This is Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Back in a moment. If you want to talk with Sam Pond or any one of his legal experts, call 800-568-7500. That's 800-568-7500. And back here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, as Sam mentioned, uh, going into the break, a special day not only here uh, in Philadelphia, uh, but around our entire nation. Welcome back, everyone, to Legal Eagles Radio uh, with Sam Pond. An interesting conversation uh, on the docket today uh, with Sam. Remember, uh, Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond, now available on Apple iPodcast. Sam? Yeah, Joe, we have a, a another heavy hitter guest uh, from the Levin Papatonio firm uh, that is one of the leading personal injury firms in the country. And we have Robert E. Price, who is a shareholder with the firm. And Robert's focus of his practice has been on defective drug and medical device products and liability matters uh, and liability cases. And right now he's spending most of his time investigating and litigating cases involving injuries that really are arising out of the failed hernia mesh implants um, and he's had, in his efforts to date, have resulted in over $100 million in gross settlement recoveries on behalf of his clients that really, thankfully, uh, he was there to serve them and, and represent them. So, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's, been, it's a pleasure. Tell us a little bit about your firm, and I, I, I hit on this, but tell us a little bit about your firm, what you guys do and gals do, and... Uh, what you are, and I, I, I kind of revealed that to start the show, but what you're now involved in, what you're immersed in in regard to litigation to represent your clients. But give us a bit of an overview so our listeners know. 
Yeah, yeah. So our firm, uh, we've been litigating, uh, you know, complex pharmaceutical and, and drug, along with other types of cases, uh, since probably about the past 30 years, and before I, I became you know part of the firm, uh, I've been litigating with the firm about nine years myself. And when I got to the firm, I, I you know kind of immersed myself in the world of pharmaceuticals and medical devices. And then you know within on or, you know around 2012, I started doing something called the the, the pelvic mesh, the women's pelvic mesh litigation, which will sort of be a sister litigation or was a, a precursor litigation of hernia mesh, is what we're talking about today. But but anyway. Anyway, yeah, our firm is about uh, – we got about 35 lawyers, uh, many, many, at least probably 20 of which are uh, kind of power hitter litigators who go – you know, we around the country in various jurisdictions all across the country fighting it out with uh, pharmaceutical and medical device companies who put bad products on the market um, – and, and you know hurt people, and we collect liability uh, awards, and and we fight them out in court as much as we got to do, and we uh, get civil redress on behalf of our clients. And we do other different things, but it's a, it's a big part of our firm that we pride ourselves in. And like I said, we've been doing it for 30 years, starting back with the asbestos days. Yeah, it sounds like this. When I talk to trial lawyers and uh, and really honor what they do and. In our society, you guys really regulate, I think, and, and bring in safety measures for the for the innocent, unknowing consumer. Uh, and it's and it's to a certain degree, it's a David and Goliath fight. You know, you're you're one law firm, and you're going up a, against a Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 company. It might be a multinational company that has amazing resources available to to you know squash you and quash any efforts that you have uh, on behalf of your clients. Um, so it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of talent to get these things done, um, and we clearly appreciate it. What what do you hernia mesh? We've seen some of these things in the news. What's going on with the hernia mesh? It's just hard for me to believe in our society in America that we have these products coming into into our society and being put into people's bodies um, all at the just for profit, um, how's it, how do we get here? What's going on with hernia mesh? Yeah, yes, and, and thank, it's a very important issue. It is one of the more common medical devices that get that gets implanted on a daily basis. Uh, you know, lots and lots of different types of hernia mesh is still on the market. So it is an important issue, and, and hernias are so prevalent. I think that the statistics are somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, – it's been a while since I looked at the statistics, but at least a half a million hernias get repaired in the United States each year. So so there's a good chance that, you know, people that are listening, either they or, or some member of their family is going to deal with hernias. And one of the important things that we've – you know, we're learning here – as, as time goes on, is that you know many, many, many hernia meshes out there on the market are are basically experimental designs, and that's what. And we and to give you a little bit of a background of how this all started, back in 2006, there was a recall. And it was a recall on what's called the CR Bard, and Bard is a big medical device manufacturer. The CR when you say Bard, recall. Who's recalling it? Who's, re well, who's doing the recall? Well, recall is it the manufacturer. Funny, recall is a funny thing. That, this was an FDA manufacturer joint 
recall back in 06. And, and recall is a funny word because a lot of times there are different types of recalls. And, and most of the time, in, in my experience in the United States, when you hear the term recall or something getting pulled off the market, more often than not, that, when it comes to medical devices, that's a product of the manufacturer uh, sort of silently pulling the, the product off the market or, you know, instead of a, re- a true recall, it's actually a vo- what they call a voluntary withdrawal, and that will happen a lot. And, and in fact, many different products that have come and gone on the market have been uh, products of what, what we call silent recalls, which is on the internal side of the company that's producing the device, they, they say to themselves, oh, no, you know, this is causing a lot of issues, causing a lot of problems. Let's, let's take it off. Let's just stop selling it, and let's transition to another design, or let's go back to the old design. Uh, that may have not been perfect, but it, you know this. So, so yeah, I mean, recalls a funny and interesting little rabbit hole when we get into to devices because not a lot of times the FDA steps in and says, "Hey, you got to pull that off the market." That doesn't happen a lot, really, in this country. So you're going back, and I interrupted your history, and, and I'm going to. I'm just want before we get to the history and, and going back to '06 or '07. My understanding of hernia is it's almost about one in five folks in our in our country will have a hernia. There's a whole t- type of different types of hernias, whether it's lower in the abdomen wall or whether it's higher up. Um, and really what this mesh does is when a doctor goes in to repair the hernia, which is a ripping of the lining, correct, which could have a, intestines coming out, is that the kind of – in certain hernias? Correct, correct. And there's, there's really two main types of hernias you see, which are what we call ventral hernias, which are abdominal hernias. And then there's, there's called inguinal hernias or inguinal hernias, and those are more in the groin canal area. Both are very, very common types of hernia. Now, there's some, some esophageal and like uh, chest-based hernia, but you don't see those a lot. So mostly that's exactly right. That's what we're talking about here is it's a, it's a tear or a bulge in the abdomen where some defect in the muscular wall has given and you've got you know your intestines kind of popping out through the skin and you can see them you can feel them causes you pain and discomfort and you got to get it fixed basically and so the mesh goes the doctor can do it laparoscopically or open you and when they go in to sew up that uh, that defect in the uh, abdomen wall they also are going to reinforce it with the mesh and that's where the mesh comes in right correct yep okay so let's go back and give our give our listeners a bit of a history of how this came about. And you and you started there, and again, I apologize. Where get get back to how this all started? Yeah, yeah, of course. And I, and I won't I won't bore you with this long drawn out history, but I think the history is very important um, because so we we go back to oh six oh seven. This recall occurs, and what people are finding out is. And, and the actual mechanism, the reason this is happening is not really known. And, and it's, it's kind of funky because the reason, here's the reasoning. You got a patch that's used, and this patch consists of a few different layers, okay? And around the patch is, is a ring. And what doctors were finding is this ring around the patch that was made of permanent material, it would buckle, it would fold, and you would see these doctors removing these meshes that have failed in people. And you would see words in medical records like the mesh turned into a taco or it 
folded upon itself or it buckled. And when that happens, you saw people having their organs punctured. You saw abscesses. You saw people dying from something as simple as a little old patch that had suddenly buckled up on itself and, and you know, shot, you know, shot into somebody's organ. And, and that was a very catastrophic case on a very bad device. Now, what's interesting is that that same device is put in people to this very day. You may not know that, but that same device, or what we'll call iterations of that device, is still on the market. Okay? How, how, that, that, how, how can that be? How can that be? And, and here's here's how that with with a few adjustments to uh, to the design and it gets put back on the market. So this is what happened. The company essentially said, "Okay, this ring that's the problem. Uh, so we're going to just remove the ring. We're going to make it instead of permanent. We're going to make it an absorbable ring, and all's well and good." And and that was pretty much the end of the story. And a lot of people, you know, that, that litigation went through several years of litigation. There were good verdicts that were won, um, and, you know, there were some, there were some uh, what we call defense verdicts as well. Not everything was a slam dunk. There were fights to be had, but the litigation largely resolved. So, um, and, 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 and so I'll, I'll finish the timeline, and you can ask me some more of these kind of, well, how does that happen, or how does that work kind of question. But what we, so here's what happens as, as we see this Kugel device, this ring device wrapping up. What also happened around the same time is the same exact companies that produced the hernia mesh, they started producing something called women's pelvic mesh or transvaginal mesh. And that, that had been happening all along kind of a similar timeline, but the litigation with that started around 2012. We started seeing women getting implanted with these, what's called polypropylene. It's a plastic-based material. They were getting implanted with basically hernia mesh in their pelvic region, in their vagina, in their bladder, and places like that. And, and women were having these horrific results. The mesh started, started contracting, so they would have extreme pelvic pain. They wouldn't be able to have intercourse with their spouses. They would have to have the mesh removed from their bladder and their vagina and their pelvises. It was a horrible, horrible. But we learned a lot in that litigation. We learned a few things, and here's what we learned. For one, poly, polypropylene itself... Well, let me do this, Robert. Let's do this. Let's okay. let's come back after our break and pick it up right there because uh, I think we're starting to get an understanding of uh, just how bad this is. So uh, okay. we're going to go to a break, and we're going to come back and have you continue. This Great. is Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. Our special guest today, Robert Price from Levin Papantonio, joining us uh, along with J.com Krause on a Sunday night here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. And it is Veterans Day today as we broadcast to you on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and we share uh, in recognizing and honoring uh, and saluting uh, all of those military heroes. Welcome back, everyone, to Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond, uh, a Sunday night in the Delaware Valley. Sam? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, Robert, interesting stuff, uh, really just fascinating, and, and we're accomplishing what this show wants to do, and that is to educate people uh, about their rights and also about the products and the history of it. So I'm going to let you just continue where I 
I, you left off uh, when I interrupted you for the break. So if you just pick it up from there, let's let's uh, let's hear more. Okay. Yeah. So so and thanks. And when we left off, I think what I was talking about is you know we talked about the Kugel uh, patch that had the ring issue with it, and then when then we got into the women's pelvic mesh and we started learning things, uh, biological things. And now a lot of things started happening scientifically. And we've got a lot of science. We got a lot of experts that happened uh, to be on the the good side, the plaintiff side, and and they started recognizing certain things about polypropylene, which is the base plastic that's used. And a lot of hernia meshes. And these are a few things that we started to learn. For one, as time went on, manufacturers, this won't shock you, manufacturers started asking themselves, how can we produce this stuff faster, easier, and cheaper? So they started doing things like they started sourcing their resin from suspicious places. The, the way that they you know, the way that they processed it, the way that they got it, they got it from cheaper, you know, for example, one manufacturer got it from a you know, Chinese-based resin, um, what we believe was counterfeit resin. So you started seeing manufacturers start doing weird things with their polypropylene that made it break down much faster. And when, a, when polypropylene breaks down and flakes off and it gets into the tissue, it exacerbates an inflammatory effect that happens in the body. So we started learning that. And then the other thing we started learning, sort of part and parcel of that, is whenever you have a foreign body in your body, if it's a splinter or a hip or a mesh or something like that, your body is going to recognize it as a foreign body. So every time you create a foreign body that's designed to be put in the person's uh, body for the rest of their life, you always have to be asking yourself, what, what about the weight of this? Is this heavy? Is this too heavy for the application? Is it the proper size for it? With the mesh, are the pores the right size so it's going to allow wicking of bacteria and things like that? You know, all of those things are things that every drug, device manufacturer has to look at. They need to study. They need to analyze it. They need to figure out. When you say they, they have to look, when you say they have to look at it, are they required by the by law to do that, or is the FDA requiring them to do all these things that you just mentioned, or is this the thing that you think they should be doing before they put a foreign body into uh, one of our citizens? Well, this is this is what this is what we think. This is the the plaintiff's case, if you will. This is not what the FDA says. We'll get to the FDA in in, in a little bit. I'm yeah. sure you've got some FDA yeah. based yeah. questions. But but when I say this is what the manufacturer should be doing, this is what a good manufacturer should be doing, and this is why they're liable if they don't do this. They, they're they're liable in terms of what we call a design defect cause of action, and uh, and lawyers know it. You know, basically, design defect is as simple as that. Hey, you designed a bad lamp that caught on fire, or you designed, you know, a car. Design those key, yeah, an, unsafe, those, yeah. an unsafe car. An you unsafe know, car, or right. the kids' kids' PJs. You should have designed right. the kids' PJs so it didn't catch on fire. So, you know, that's that's what a design defect is. Hey, you you made it wrong. You could have made it better. You could you should have researched how to make it better, but you didn't. And that's that's what we see. What we started learning with mesh is you started seeing the companies saying, and this came out in trial too. Uh, you started seeing the companies saying, "Well, gee, this mesh is not engineered properly. We're not really using it right." for the proper applications. Why do we need something so heavy? You know, different characteristics about the meshes themselves that started raising questions of, hey, companies, are you really, are you really designing this for the human body properly? Are you, is this really the right way to make meshes? The base, 
the base product itself, you know, is it is it pure? Is it sterile? Uh, did you test it before? You know, why does a 46-year-old man need a, you know, a, a four-centimeter patch that's made of, you know, heavyweight, poly, you know, low-pore polypropylene, but a 60-year-old lady need the same device? You know, all of those things are, are things to be taken into account when designing meshes, but manufacturers don't do that generally. Manufacturers just, here's the way it works, and of course, I'm a plaintiff lawyer, and I'm kind of laying things out. Here's what device manufacturers do. Here's what we see. Every medical device manufacturer, especially in the mesh realm, usually has two or three competitors. And what we saw, and this is especially true in the mid to late 2000s and up until today, and here's the problem. The problem is we, you know, surgery right now or five years ago is way different than what it used to be. Surgery nowadays is all about how quick you can do the surgery. Can you do it laparoscopically? Can you get in, get them in and out? And these manufacturers make products that are geared toward that concept. Like, hey, this is the quickest. This has the, you know, you can cut your surgery time down. This is the newest design. But the Not newest the, design the, 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 isn't this necessarily... Is all, this this is all being driven by bottom line profit. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and, and Robert, competition. This is, this is Jay Doc. And, and I want to jump in here because you're going right in the direction I want to, I want to talk about. Uh, you, 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 you talked about the statistics, about a half a million. Is that a half a million individuals a year who, that, that have hernias? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, and you talk about the case going back as far as 2006. But uh, from personal experience, um, hernias uh, didn't start back in 2006, uh, so, so they go back to the beginning of time. I had one when I was a child. You and, weren't and, born that long ago, were you? I, well, I know. I, I look pretty good, though. You, you got to say that. That's, um, that's what Governor Rendell thinks. <laughs> Why does he get to eat on a set and I don't? Um, I don't know. It's so, governor. So, so, so here's the thing. Um, what were they using back in 1970? That uh, I, I had a hernia. I never had any issues, and, and 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 progress. Typically, if you talk about, for example, heart transplants or any other type of transplant, there's a lot of progress. Um, obviously, you know what they're using now is not what they're using then. Uh, what's the difference? Yeah, yeah. You're uh, so so. Yeah, a couple different issues there. First of all. What was available, say, back in, <laughs> excuse me, back in 1970, what you saw back in 1970 is more doctors asking the question. Hopefully, the pendulum is going to swing back to this more. More doctors asking the question of, is a um, foreign body really necessary? Is it really necessary to have to use a mesh in the procedure? So that was the first question that got asked that back in the day, that was on the forefront of doctors' minds is, do I need to use mesh? Can I close this up using natural the, – the, the person's natural tissue and sutures usually? And then secondly, what a lot of doctors would use would be what we call flat mesh. They weren't these fancy – they weren't these kits and things like that that are put out there like there are today. They usually had, you know, back in, in the 70s, 80s, or even the 90s, if a doctor said, okay, this is this hernia is too big, they would use – they would get out a sheet, literally a sheet of mesh. They would cut to the appropriate size, and they would secure it in the way that they would – you know, basically fashion it together. And that's usually what you saw back in the 70s, 80s, 80s, and 90s. 
So as, as time went on, as progress went on, there have been good progressions. And I'm not sitting here today telling you that every single mesh device that's on the market today is a bad device. There have been good progressions that have happened. But for example, manufacturers have said, you know, lighter weight mesh is better in a lot of ways. So, but, but unfortunately, in the hernia mesh realm, what we've seen in the past 10 years or so is that we've had this giant explosion of experimental competitive products where manufacturers have said to one another, well, wait, we got to beat, you know, the, the Atrium Corporation's got this new fish oil, true story, fish oil that they put on their mesh, and that's supposed to make it not stick. Hey, do we have anything here, uh, this film that we can, yeah, we've got some of this stuff, um, this is actual examples, we got some of this stuff called Seprafilm, and um, we can we could just use it. So take some of the seprofilm that we use in you know ovary removal surgeries and slap it on the mesh. And then you see this sort of flurry of companies just saying, ah, put this and this together and put it on the market. And, but but and Robert, here's a question though. If, if you so we, we have listeners out there that are listening right now uh, who may either be going uh, uh, you know going to have a, a hernia operation or their loved one may be having it. And my question, and this is always a confusing type of situation if i'm having one now i'm listening to this you got my attention huge uh, can 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 patients ask their doctors before they're having a surgery a you know reference this type of uh, this situation and find out what type of mesh they're you know they're putting in their body and then number two what is the difference i mean how would they know what's the good mesh and bad mesh is there literature out there that somebody could find online to see what is is the proper mesh to be putting in their body and which isn't so, yeah, yeah, and, and here's my sort of suggested, here's how I think about it in my brain, because I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a human, and I have a wife and family and everything else, and I, they need medical care and medicine and everything else, so, um, and so I realize the realities of it, and, and when I'm looking at, uh, and sometimes lawyers say this to one another, what's the mesh that you would put in your mom kind of thing, um, and, and so I'll try not to encroach upon medicine, but here's kind of a method of things to do before or simply accepting the premise that, you know, going to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you're going to put some mesh in your body, and, oh, and you go, okay, fine, okay, cool, sign here, and, and you do that. Here are a few different things to do. First of all, have a conversation with your doctor about whether or not mesh is needed, because some of these smaller hernias mesh may not necessarily be needed. And usually the conversation is going to go something like this. Doctor, the doctor will usually say to you, okay, well, you realize mesh, they won't say this in these exact words, but the, the issue is that mesh is a, it's a bridge. It's, it's a reinforcement support. So the doctor's probably going to say something back to you like, if, if you're a candidate for native tissue repair, they may say, yeah, we can do a native tissue repair, but, you know, your risk of recurrence may be higher. In other words, you may have a hernia pop back out in a year or two or a few years. And what you may want to consider is, the way I look at it is, if a hernia recurs and you're back to square one, that's better than being to square negative one. And here's what square negative one is. If it's true, if you go ahead and get the hernia mesh and you get the mesh first, your risk of recurrence might be a little bit lower, although there is some literature that disputes that, okay? If you assume the premise that your doctor's saying your risk is, of recurrence is better with mesh, then you have to go to the next next part of your brain and say, okay, well, what other new risks am I being introduced in my body by accepting mesh? And are these new risks 
that I'm willing to take on. For example, and we saw this in pelvic mesh, um, and I've had I worked with several experts in pelvic mesh, and they would almost the good experts would like laugh at the defense attorneys while they're asking this series of questions. They would say, "Well, doctor, wouldn't you agree that in, in, in with a mesh surgery, your chances of a recurrence are so much lower?" And the doctors are laughing. Yeah, yeah, there's no recurrence there. That stuff's like concrete. And once you put that concrete up against a woman's bladder, oh, I'd agree with you. There's no recurrence at all. That stuff is so embedded in there that I've, I had to do 10 surgeries in Miss Smith just to get it out. So, yeah, recurrence is not the issue. The issue is what other risks are you accepting when you put in your body? So, anyway. So, so, so that's, that's all Go good stuff. And, Joe Doc, good question. And, and people not only have a right, they have to talk to their doctors and they have to understand the kind of mesh that's out there that's going to be problematic. And we're going to talk about, when we come back, how this gets into the marketplace, uh, what's required, talk about the FDA, talk about a case uh, so people get more educated about uh, mesh. Remember, if you want to connect directly with Sam, call him anytime, day or night. Leave a message on the Legal Eagles hotline at 1-800-723-8715. This is... Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. This is Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond talking with you across the Delaware Valley on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Robert Price is Sam's special guest today from the Levin Papantonio Law Firm. Sam? Joe, I just can't believe how quickly this is going. It and goes as, so fast. As, as with most shows, when we're talking about people's legal rights, just when we have a really good uh, professional on the show to talk about, it just flies by and just it doesn't seem like these segments are enough time to accomplish everything that we have to accomplish. So let's get right back in it, Robert, and talk about um, if I wanted to develop a piece of mesh in my garage uh, and bring it to the market and sell it to some doctor so they could put it in a citizen's body, um, what stops me from doing that? Is there is the FDA? What's the FDA's role in here? What's government's regulations that'll that'll safeguard uh, people from having that happen? Sure, sure. And, and great, great and very important question right now, especially in some of our political climate. So with the FDA, um, most people think that if there's a drug or a medical device on the market, the FDA had to look at it and approve it. With medical devices specifically, that's not always the case. And the FDA classifies medical devices into, there's three different buckets, but the two main buckets that are important here are, is it a life-sustaining device, like a pacemaker or something like that, or is it a non-life-sustaining device? If you have a non-life-sustaining device, which is a class two or lesser device, then the FDA will allow it to be what's called cleared through the what's called the 510K process. And what that means is that the FDA is okay with companies producing medical devices without producing literature or science that shows it's safe or effective if the company can simply show that it's what's called substantially equivalent to another existing device. So what that means is that the first that sheet of mesh that I mentioned a little while ago that the doctor cuts off the shelf and that sort of thing, sometime way back in 1970 or whatever, 
um, the the manufacturer made a showing to the FDA. Uh, and actually, actually, I think 1970 was earlier than the regs. But the point is that the the first device that ever came out had to be shown to the FDA that it was safe and effective. So subsequent devices can. So once say, that once that done, is done, it kind of it, it, you're off to the races. Right, right, exactly. So it, it sort of like opens this gate up for companies to go, well, mine's like that too, so I can just put this one out. And the FDA has habitually rubber-stamped mesh devices so for years garage, and years and years. my garage piece that I kind of copied out and made it look like the original piece that was approved, I got a good chance of getting that rubber stamped and getting it into the marketplace. Right, right. It's a pretty simple application, and, and the the, uh, the nexus of the application is simply by you saying it's a lot like the thing that's already on the device. But you made a couple different tweaks. You know, you 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 know, you maybe you welded, maybe you outside of the back of the garage, you had a, a dunk tank of some some oil, and you dunked it in some oil. That's that's just a small tweak, and you put that in your application. A lot of times, FDA will say, okay. So, well, some of, the, some of this, let's say, say that I've done that, I've created a piece of mesh in my garage, and you know what, I haven't really done a lot of laboratory test or lab testing. I haven't put it in a mouse or a rat, and I just want to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to get it approved. They're going to put it out there. It's going to be experimental. I want to see how it goes in human beings, so then I can kind of tweak it. Does, can that actually happen? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, that's the problem. That's the issue. Because the, the FDA is not – when you get into what's called substantial equivalence land under this statute, the FDA is not looking for you to prove, and you're not required to prove that it's been tested or safe and effective or that you've even tested it in humans. And, in fact, most meshes have not been tested in humans. So we, we, have, we have people listening to our show that could have had a piece of mesh put into them, you know, whether it was pelvic, whether it was, was – uh, vaginal mesh, whether it was a hernia mesh, that actually was an experimental piece. They're, they're walking around probably with a lot of pain and difficulty out there right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they could have, you know, the type of the device that they had in their body could have never been studied for safety and, and whether or not it was good in humans before the company simply put it on the market. So when they, if, if they're out there and they call us and, and we refer them to you, what do you, what do you, how do you develop these cases? Where do you go? This is a mass tort. It's not a single event, as we call it in, in the profession. What do you do? How do you help them? Yeah, so every time you get an implant in your body, the hospital keeps a record of that. And usually these, these implants have stickers on them. We call them sticker pages. Or they have logs and that sort of thing. So most people don't know what type of mesh they have inside of their body. And nobody really geeks out and, and, and wants every proof like that. But you can find that out. You, that's, that record's kept in the hospital. And anybody can request – everybody – has a right to access their medical records. Robert, so if you really wanted to know? find that out, you could get that. What's that? Do the doctors know? The doctors will know, but the the doc, a lot of times the doctor's office is separate, so the doctor's records are separate from the hospital. The hospital is usually where the that that particular record is kept. Okay, and the reason the do- I ask of course that the doctor knows before he implants it. And that's my point. Are they liable? Well, you know, a, a doctor, our theory in this is that we're not suing doctors for implanting the mesh. Now, if they implanted it wrong or something like that, that's a different question. But the, by way of the fact that they implanted the mesh, we're not, necess- we're not suing them on that premise. Because the theory here is that the doctors thought 
what the companies presented to them was true and accurate. So the companies presented to them by way of their warning and their training and their sales reps and all this other stuff, they presented to them that this stuff was essentially safe. And they and they their their warnings that come on these are warnings that are tip they're very typical and some warnings they'll even say the adverse reactions are typical of any implanting material. So that I don't we don't think the doctors are liable by just for implanting the mesh. It's it's a bad product and the companies are liable. So so if somebody has you're asking about if somebody has one of these meshes, if somebody has one of these meshes then you know they can find out what type it is and what we do the first question we ask is what kind of type you know what kind of mesh it is that we're dealing with we have a list of meshes that we think are um, not good meshes like so not all of them we think are bad meshes but there are a lot of them we think are bad meshes we bring that in we compare we, we ID the product and then we start working with the plaintiff and of course we'll ask the person upon intake well, what kind of bad problems are you having have you had to have it surgically removed what's going on with with you type questions, and and then we go from there. And if the plaintiff has a uh, a case and they've got damages and they have one of these bad meshes, then we sue them. And 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 there's a couple different courts and jurisdictions based on the type and product of mesh product. Well, what what is the last word, Robert? Right now, just call us and and if you're having difficulty, if you've had a mesh matter, if you have some pain, if you're having some difficulty. Call us and, and, and take a look and let's investigate. Is that the best advice right now? And we've got one minute left, so if you could just say what you think in, in, in five seconds or less. Yeah, right, absolutely. If you've had a mesh, especially in the past 10 years, you're having problems with it, call us and we'll investigate your case. Well, folks, here we go again. Uh, this is why it's important to make sure that you vote and understand what your rights are and empower yourself and make sure the laws are there to protect you uh, and call your legislature and find out, hey, where are you at with the FDA and making sure the courthouse door is open so if you get harmed, you can go into a, a courtroom. Robert, thanks for the great, great, great show. Uh, Joe, another great show. I just wish we had more time. Special thanks to Robert Price from Levin Papantonio for joining us uh, on Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. On behalf of uh, J. Doc, I'm Joe Krause, and on behalf of our gracious host, Sam Pond, see you next time, everybody. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.